Good. Nice and awake at 11 a.m. on Eastern. I'm not usually up this early. <laughs> I didn't used to be. Uh, I, I was on nights until like very recently. So yeah, I did, did like night shift. <laughs> Is that why? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I made a switch today. So like uh, mid 11 used to be like early morning. Ah, I see. Yeah, yeah. 11's early for me. Uh, I, I usually get up uh, maybe like half an hour later or an hour later. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm good though. You're good. Nice and awake. I mean, I've got coffee, so I'm always good. <laughs> I don't really drink coffee. I'm more of a tea person, but I have water, so I'm... Mm. I'm one of those people yeah. those water drinkers yes. <laughs> uh, and yeah i mean essentially if you're if you're all happy and, and good we'll we'll kick off and record yeah go ahead that's cool you sit very still and i keep thinking that that it's frozen you didn't even oh know. no no no, no. <laughs> watch for like little micro expressions in my face any expressions just little movements of hair and yeah yeah like like lines on my face yeah whereas i'm just overly animated so <laughs> there's, there's no way around it um but in that case welcome to the podcast lex hi how are you i'm graham? yeah i'm graham I, I i was debating um whether i'd be calling you lex or alex either way because, yeah, well, this is yeah. a professional podcast, so call me by my professional name, Lex. <laughs> yeah. My name's always Graham. Your name's always Graham. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, I guess podcast hosts and comedians mostly use their real names. I, I have met very few comedians who didn't use their full last names, like first, middle, and last name, if they have a middle. It's uh, not the case with musicians. Like, we're more prone to uh, stage names. Yeah. You do like to hide yourself behind the, the name and the moniker. And, and yeah, whatnot. some people more, than, more so than I do, because um, I consider myself a, a more of a realist mm-hmm. uh, performer in that my real self and the performance self are you know more connected than some other people's like some people are just like present something completely different and then completely different but like there is some truth to the stuff i make it's just kind of like a more theatricalized and like exaggerated version that makes sense that makes sense i mean i occasionally do it i mean i go by yelling at concrete online for most yelling on concrete okay <laughs> i mean that the name of the podcast and then I, I use it for like all my usernames um oh that's cool yeah there you go that you understand <laughs> yeah but no i don't think anyone actually calls me yelling. it's a long name to say and it'd be weird to be called yelling or concrete well, i mean it's shorter than likes the likes a con artist i'm not gonna name myself <laughs> that is true um <laughs> i'm not going full full uh full title for you sadly Oh, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lex is totally fine. That that was what it was intended to be. (laughs) I mean, in that case, we should probably introduce you. I'm going to let you introduce yourself because I like people to introduce themselves and put them on the spot a little bit. Can you tell the people listening who you are? Sure. What do you do? I'm Lex the Lex the Con Artist. Um, Lex the Con Artist for short or Lex for short short. Uh, And Lex is short for Alex, not short for Alexandra. Uh, Alex is just my real name. (laughs) Uh, What do I do? I make rap music. I make other kinds of music too. It's like a weird fusion of rap and pop uh, with sometimes nerdy references, other times uh, nerdy uh, like voicings. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I just have a really interesting and weird 
perspective on uh, rap music, I guess. It, you know, it, a lot of people uh, that I've encountered in the mainstream space have told me that I am too nerdy sounding for the mainstream space. Really? Uh, but a lot of people in the nerd space have told me that I'm too, I'm not nerdy enough for the nerd space. Uh, oh. so I, I've kind of just ended up carving out my own path and, yeah. you know, picking up people along the way who have like some similarities and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the best way to describe it is like nerdy rap pop. Yeah, I think that works. I mean, I, I was kind of thinking back to uh, when I first emailed you to say, Hey, do you want to come on a podcast? And it's always a bit of a weird one to get receive an email out of the blue of some random person in another country saying, "Hey, do you want to come on a podcast?" I mean, how... it's more than you think. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's every day. Like, like that's how I, that's how I live my life. Um, but no, I was kind of thinking how I stumbled across your music um, in yeah. such a kind of random way. Yeah, yeah, I love hearing these stories. Like, I I never know how many people are listening to my things. Yeah. Uh, and I never know just how uh, people discover me. Like sometimes people do it through Spotify Discover. Sometimes mm -hmm. people find me on YouTube. But it's always a different story. Um, there's some similarities in some of the stories, but I'm always very curious as to how people, you know, end up discovering me, because I am never aware of how far my content has spread. And yeah. I'm sure that you can relate to this too. Like you know, someday out of the blue, someone just you know, just comes out and messages me or emails me saying, hey, I'm from this place. And then I saw yeah. your thing and I thought it was cool. And it's always very like kind of like a jaw-dropping jaw surprising moment for me. So I enjoy hearing it. I do love the ones when you kind of, um, you look into like the analytics or anything of something you've done and you see one just like in a random country and you're like, how? How did it make it? <laughs> Who in Sweden is listening to me? Yeah. <laughs> at yeah. any one point in time. Um, yeah. So I, so I found you through a tweet, Oh, as is go. the best way. There you <laughs> go. I'll, I'll tell the story. Um, so I found you a tweet from uh, Beefy, the oh. rapper, who oh, had yeah. tweeted yeah. your latest album, uh, Lex in the City. Uh -huh. And then I'd seen that and I kind of clicked on that because he's, he's one of the uh, kind of nerdcore rappers who I was really into. And I followed him on Twitter for ages and I was like, oh, you know, good suggestions usually come from them. Click on that. And then I ended up listening to your album in one shot like it wasn't like i picked on a song and then kind of went oh yeah it's good I'll, I'll have a listen to that later no it was just like clicked on and then i realized i'd made it to the end of the album i was like i need to talk to this person <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you say album do you mean like in the city you listen to yeah. it in one go? yeah it's 30 minutes it's not that difficult of a listen. <laughs> I think it surprised me because the way I listen to music is is like you say with this with discover and like playlists and stuff like that I don't tend to stick to one it's been a while since I listened to a whole album all the way through yeah that's the modern way of consuming music is like yeah. uh, singles and uh yeah one shots uh I'm a little bit old school in that way in that I still like making albums I like making stuff with a cohesive like either story or uh, a common thread like a thematic mm -hmm read uh and then like my fans consume media that way a lot of them like listening to entire albums and yeah. that's what i do to serve their interests but i'm really glad that i was able to break your typical consumer habits of listening to a single <laughs> i think I, that's it's good though because like in back in the day when i was you know young and fresh-faced um not decaying like i am now um when i was listening to music i would listen to a whole album 
that was it. So my my change, my tastes have changed through the years to consume music. So it was it was kind of nice to just be reminded of that, and just say, oh, here's here's a whole a whole album to listen to, and then exactly. yeah, yeah, went through that, and then ended up listening to most of your catalog. Because, yeah. It's not that much either. <laughs> yeah, I started making music in 2017, so yeah. uh, I, which is at this point four years ago. Yeah, yeah. it's been four years. Wow, crazy. Um, it feels like no time at all. Uh, yeah, well, we lost I, a year. You gotta remember. We did lose a year. That was a dummy year. It was yeah. a. It was a. Didn't count. It was a lemon. No, that's not the word. Uh, what's that golf word? Uh, uh, shoot, what is that golf word? Do you play golf? No. <laughs> uh all i can think of is birdie and eagle and that's for like getting the, the thing in the hole right yeah yeah there there's one term for golf where it's like oh this term doesn't this term doesn't right. count okay. and i can't i can't for the life of me think of the word right now um i might have to open up my text and then because like this is bothering <laughs> me like i i need to find out what it is okay it's okay. a do-over no, 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 but that's not it. Okay, what is it? Just a repeat. Uh, oh, it's a mulligan. A mulligan. Okay. Mulligan. See, I didn't know that was a golf term. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, All it's right. just it's it's a term that doesn't count. <laughs> it's a mulligan. We did we did a mulligan. I like it. Right. Yeah, we did a mulligan. Yeah. Uh, sounds very Irish, right? Is that an yes. Irish word? Well, or is well golf Scottish. Oh, golf Scottish. Okay. Yeah. So I'm guessing it's more Scottish. Okay, it's Scottish. Um, but yeah, it, my catalog is not very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is definitely consumable. It's, How many it's, albums do you think, have now? Uh, it's two full albums, one kind of kind of full album, like Deluxe in the City is kind of, uh, like it's half, like it, it's an EP, it's 30 minutes, yep. which counts it as an EP. And then two full length albums and um, a bunch of other singles. But it's certainly shorter than Beefy's catalog. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he's been running for a while. <laughs> running for a while, and he is great people, and yeah. I love that guy. <laughs> he has such an. I think I I got into Nerdcar ages ago. Like, uh, must be You're like, a millennial. Am I a millennial? Yeah. I mean, I'm 31. You're 31. So, yeah. yeah. I'm 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 right at the beginning of millennial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm 20. I'm almost 27. I'm turning 27 this year, and I consider myself a millennial. 1994, uh, that's like right between millennial and Gen Z, uh, right at the cusp of millennial and Gen Z. Um, yep. I'd rather not associate. Uh, actually, I think it's Gen Y, uh, or is Gen Y and millennial the same thing? Uh, I think be- I lose track. Like, okay. I think Y and millennial may be the same thing because because it's Gen X before it was right? exactly. Yeah, yeah, so millennials and then Gen Z, right? I believe yeah. Gen Z starts 1996, yeah. and then uh, a millennial ends 1994. So I consider myself a millennial. <laughs> I don't think I had a chance to classify myself. I think someone else, like the, the media did it for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really feel like at home with the millennial label. I don't know what mm. it is, okay. but I don't really feel like a 90s kid because I was born in the mid 90s. So most of the 90s, I was still a toddler. So I yeah. don't really feel that, you know, connection with a lot of the 90s media, especially not um especially not American or Western 90s media. So mm-hmm. I don't have that nostalgia factor. But I, I 
you know, I, I relate to a lot of things that millennials relate to, for example, as you said, listening to full albums, buying yep. CDs, uh, you know, growing up during the time where LimeWire started to come on the scene and, oh, you know, just downloading MP3 files full of viruses. I mean, you know, I, all this stuff. <laughs> I was on, literally on your Instagram today because um, I was like doing some pre-research and I saw you, ha- you had like a link for Napster mm-hmm. and it blew my mind because I was just like, Napster? I haven't heard of Napster in it's gonna be 15 years or so. <laughs> oh, I think it's because my distributor um, automatically uploads to oh, Napster. Man. Yeah, yeah. And I've, I haven't. I don't think I've ever used Napster. Mm. I only use LimeWire for pirating okay. stuff. Yeah. And I. Not that we condone pirating, obviously. We should, <laughs> we should pay artists. That's the rule. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're yeah. gonna pirate, you should may as well run the rule out of LimeWire. Why not? <laughs> feel free to um i i don't i don't condone pirating for you know small artists or whatever i highly recommend uh pirating highly highly recommend pirating stuff that is like you know is already uh famous not not okay <laughs> you might want to edit this part out but like <laughs> oh no no we don't we don't we don't backtrack on this book <laughs> okay. uh but but yeah i I'm kind of a proponent of free internet and mm. I think the internet should be free. I was just at a conference that, that argued the same thing. Uh, I think the internet should be free. And personally, as an artist, I don't have problems with people consuming my things for free. Uh, I think that if people want to consume it for free, then they will. Mm-hmm. And then they're, and I can't stop them about it. So I've accepted it and I actually embrace it now. And there are plenty of people who want to pay for my content. And if that's the case, then they will absolutely pay for it in droves, which has happened. And I embrace those fans who pay for the things in, uh, you know, in, in like a more enthusiastic way, yeah. if that like I make sure to reward them for the dedication that they're showing to the project. Uh, I I invite Patreons on my Discord channel so they can engage with me personally. So I definitely show like a preferential treatment of people who choose to support me. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to gate everything to no. uh, like payment. Like people should be able to consume my content for free. Like even though that wasn't the model in the past where in order to listen to music you had to buy CDs, uh, that is the model now. Most music is consumed for free and you have to like live with it and find other ways to monetize. So that's my outlook on it. But yes, do support small artists who need your money on Bandcamp Fridays. But, you know, pirate a gigantic anime that has a a huge following. Like, I don't have a problem with that. (laughs) No, I think I discussed this. um, So on the first podcast of the year, me and my brother sat down and discussed a lot of kind of nostalgic TV and different things we were missing from the past. And both of us were saying the problem we have is finding things which we want to watch from the past which don't have a physical or purchasable proponent to them yep yeah i'm just really struggling with it so you end up pirating it you end up finding in like the weirdest little places and someone's you know wee little reddit thread where yep. you're kind of digging around and like oh yep. this guy's just got it's a download from his house um, yeah I, I guess we'll risk it and get a little <laughs> zip file and see what happens with it yeah it yeah. just kind of fosters into that little corner it's strange yeah. And I feel like that's the same thing, the same effect that the streaming platforms have forced us into as well. Hmm. Uh, Because a lot of times we find ourselves trying to find like 
the thing that we want to watch on a service that we subscribe to and it's like no it's not on netflix but it's on hbo max it's like oh crud I, yeah. I have to subscribe to another thing again and it's just piecemeal right you end up subscribing to a whole bunch of things like who needs cable anymore you just subscribe to hbo max yeah. disney plus uh <laughs> netflix hulu and you know at this point it's just kind of easier to own the things right yeah. you, even if you're not technically doing it legally, <laughs> just have it on your computer, right? It's just, you don't even own the things that you watch on streaming services. Like no. even, even the movies that you buy on Amazon Prime, you don't own them. It's just like they're, you're paying to get access to them. That's all. <laughs> it's just, we're slowly drip fed content. I think that's the new, it is, like you say though, that is the new business model. I mean, that's yeah. essentially how I, even with my visual art stuff, I mean, I do the podcast for free. I don't uh, monetize it in any way, shape or form because I think it's it's one of those ones which is more about discussion than any, any kind of profiteer or anything I could ever do with it. So yeah. it's just to bring people into that discussion. And then that pushes people towards other things I create, which then they spend money on. Yeah. What other things do you create? Uh, I, so I do also. So I, do, I recently took up my painting again. Um, oh, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. But uh, I do illustration and I create like, I'm currently creating the second edition of a graphic novel, which I did wow. about potatoes. Um, I do all sorts. <laughs> That's exciting. I am useless. I'm useless at drawing. Like right. I could do like computer graphics. I, I'm a Photoshop pro. I'm learning right. Illustrator right now. Uh, yeah. And I'm also learning After Effects. And I'm also very good at Premiere Pro. But yeah. I none of that is relevant to illustration. But <laughs> I am. I don't know, illustrators. Yeah, Illustrator. It's graphic design. To, uh, at drawing by hand so i don't know if i can ultimately get really good at it but i think it's possible just yeah. being able to do like you know computer stuff it, but yeah it, it's completely possible I, I mean i i'm so i my background's fine art and and all those kinds of things and and film and photography and i was taught from a fine art aspect so i had the exact opposite struggle of adapting to digital technologies Mm, and adapting to anything graphic design i just i really struggled with it and you kind of have to push yourself to do it a little bit yeah yeah um that's really interesting i wish i was good at drawing because i love fan art and i love just art in general uh i love people who are able to draw human beings and their limbs in a proportional way and I'm always so jealous of them. Like, how do you do that? Every time I try, try to draw a human, it just, it just doesn't look right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird you say that, though, because, I mean, I know I can draw a proportioned human, yet every human I draw is not proportioned. <laughs> <laughs> I, I go out of my way to make them unproportioned or to add human aspects to inanimate objects. But you have to know how to draw in proportion human before you decide to mess with yeah. the I think that's what it is. That there are oh, there's the there's a it's a great Picasso quote about that. Um because he, he did obviously cubist and abstract paintings and all those kinds of things. But he can paint classically. He can paint like Renaissance style paintings. Yeah. And the the quote from him was uh, along the lines of I had to I learned to paint like a master to then learn how to paint like a child. Yeah, that's cool. Like, I like that. That's what you need. But that's the, that's the that's the trick of creating anything. You have to learn to do the really good bit to make it sound effortless. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's isn't that something that um that 
isn't that something that Monet tried to do as well, where he like he got tired of making of, of drawing realistic portraits and painting realistic things, so he decided to uh, get into impressionism, which is not trying to uh, trying to make things realistic, but you know, capturing the the way the light kind of lands on certain things at a certain moment. I, I think I read something about that about yeah. Monet, or maybe I was reading about Debussy, who essentially impressionist music is kind of imitating uh, impressionist uh, fine art. So maybe it was Debussy. I don't remember. I don't know much about Debussy. <laughs> yeah, Debussy's amazing. I love Debussy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a great question for you. Like, in, in terms of kind of music and stuff, what, what is your day-to-day music at the moment? Um, right now, it's video game music. Uh, okay. I, I get stuck on, um, like, certain, uh, like, a very specific thing at a time. Right. I don't use Spotify as much as people would think I use. Uh, my brother listens to more music than I do, I'm sure. Like, my brother is a big music fan. He loves mm-hmm. all things like pop and hip-hop. Uh, and he uses Spotify Discover every day. Uh, for me, I I discover something like a video game I really like, and then I listen to the soundtrack for like three weeks, <laughs> and then I move on to something else. Uh, so right now, I'm really crazy about the Undertale soundtrack because okay. I just finished playing that game, and it is a fantastic game. Uh, I have a Twitch channel where I play games. Uh, it's separate from my uh, music career, but uh, it's it's fun. I'm able to build a community and get some of my fans over to watch me play games. And they asked me to play this game called Undertale, and it was a really popular game in 2016, 2015. Um, and for some reason, I had never been spoiled on it. I had never seen any spoilers except for like the meme that came out of it, uh, okay. which Sands and megalovania uh, i don't know if you're familiar with those things but uh i ended up playing the game loved it it was just such a beautiful game and scrapped it with so much love and the best thing about it was the soundtrack and i'm still on that kick even after finishing the game <laughs> that's so, so cool though. yeah yeah right now that's that but i listen to a variety of things uh as i just said i listen to classical mm-hmm. Classical is not technically it's it's the term that's used for you know all that entire period, but yeah. really Debussy's an impressionist uh, pianist and musician, and uh, what, Beethoven's a Romantic period composer. You know, it, it's not accurate to call all of them classical, but let's just say classical. I I grew up with classical music. I was yeah. a classically trained musician, so. Okay a lot of that stuff uh i didn't end up going like going through with it because um the way that i was brought up to like play violin as like okay like you have to practice and you have to get better it was like um wasn't the best experience and i feel like if it had gone a different way i would have had a better experience with it uh but it was um it, it definitely was an important part of my childhood and formed a big part of who I am today. Yeah. Uh, learning violin, that is. So classical is a big part of, you know, my my brain repertoire. And then other stuff I listen to, I listen to rap, obviously, but it's not all, all I listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, I listen to a lot of pop music and I listen to, uh, when I was in high school, I loved, you know, like alternative metal, alternative rock, that sort of thing. Uh, mostly like poppy poppy bands like i love the sevenfold in high school like just like completely obsessed 
I've seen them twice. Like I like that you associate Avenged Sevenfold with the term poppy. Yeah, they're poppy. <laughs> they're pop metal. <laughs> I feel like there's just like a, a large wave of Avenged Sevenfold fans who may have heard that and be like, what? <laughs> this is heavy. <laughs> and then there's a group of metal fans nearby just like, no, 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 she's right. She's, she's right. It's poppy. <laughs> metal, metal fans are going to agree with me that they're pop metal. They are. <laughs> yeah. To me, yeah. they fall into the same category as um, the likes of Trivium, who I yeah. also class as pop metal. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, like, I think that I it would be inaccurate to call myself a metalhead because mm-hmm. I don't listen to proper metal. I listen to things like a Ben Sevenfold. <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you get you get well, people who listen to like Newfound Glory and they class themselves as punk. Okay, so yeah, I, I see where you're going with this. Yeah. People who listen to Green Day call themselves punk. Exactly. <laughs> If you can listen yeah. to Green Day and still consider yourself punk, I think I think we can allow Vinch Sevenfold fans to be metal. Consider that they're metal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love them. They got me out of some really hard times in high school. Yeah. I didn't have the best school experience. You know, middle school and high school, kind of a wash for me. But um, yeah, that band is just something else. Uh, their Their music is just... It's just so angry and aggressive and it really helped me get out of... Get, get out some you know bad feelings at the time uh so they have a very special place in my heart i still listen to them when i have hard time so yeah i know pretty much most of their songs in their uh, all of their songs in their catalog up to uh nightmare which is from 2010 and then afterwards like i kind of fell off the wagon but uh yeah i love that band Uh, (laughs) oh a a band that i got into recently is nine inch nails all Uh, right okay yeah, because I was dating a person who had that as their favorite band, right. and I got really into them, and I started, you know, going all the way back into their catalog, and I just... I was going to say, if you're just getting into Nine Inch Nails, they have a long catalog. I know. <laughs> you have a few years of music just available to you now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a lot, and it's quite a lot. Uh, but you know, I listen to Hesitation Marks. I listen to Downward Spiral. I listen mm-hmm. to Hate Machine. Um, and Downward Spiral is probably still my favorite so yeah. far. It's just great. It came out, I think, the year I was born, 1994, in March. So it's very close to my age. Yeah. But yeah, I just think Trent Reznor is such a genius. Yeah. Like. Yeah, he's he's. I'd fully agree. Like Downward Spiral is, is one of my top favorite albums. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's just brilliant, and yeah. he's making film scores now. Like the social me- social yeah. network film score is brilliant. Uh, I don't know if you watch Soul from Pixar, but he composed yeah, yeah. on yeah. that film, and it's just it's so good. Like he and Atticus Ross were uh, some key composers on that film. And I just don't understand how he does it. It's just like this man's like a virtuoso. <laughs> he's, he's he's like he's weirdly like modest as well. I remember yeah, yeah. Um, remember seeing a I think he, he was essentially given an award, and I think it was something like the Lifetime Achievement Award or something like that. Yeah. And he got it, and he was just like, "Why are you giving this to me? I'm only like forty something. I've got plenty of time left." And it was like, "Stop trying to put a nail in my coffin, and I'm going to go make more music." yeah no i, yeah, I think it's, it's brilliant it's, it's quite strange like you you see your i mean you say you, you turned 27 this year yeah so you're 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 quite young in terms of the rap scene one would, one would yeah suggest. yeah 
I think I am. I mean, there's a lot of mainstream rappers that are 20 years old and already mm-hmm. like huge, but like that's a completely different scene altogether. Yeah. As far as the nerdcore scene goes, I'm pretty young. Yes. So, uh, there's uh, starting to be people younger than me, but they all belong to like the YouTube category of nerdcore rap. It's it's apparently separated now. <laughs> it is. It's, uh, so this is it's like I kept thinking about this. Like when we were mentioning Beefy, it was just like, the the rappers I go into with nerdcore seem to be basically the end of my getting into nerdcore. Like I got into maybe four or five different artists. Mm-hmm. Um, so people like MC Frontalot, uh, mm-hmm. Shape of the Dark Lord, um, I got Samus in there as well. Yeah, yeah. And just they kind of like came in, and I for for like three years I was solidly into that. Yeah. And then after that, I just stopped listening to it. Yeah. I don't know why, but I kept listening to rap and I moved on to um, two of my favorite rappers, uh, Sage Francis and um, B. Dolan, and they're, they're part of like a strange famous record label. Yeah, I do know about Sage Francis. I have a couple of friends who um, I believe used to work with them. Yeah, there's some overlap with the indie rap scene and then their core scene, uh, yeah. and it's bigger than you might expect. Well, I mean, I, I, so I think it was last year, maybe this year? No, last year. Um, B. Dolan did a, a, a gig in Minecraft. Hmm. to raise yeah, money and um samus performed to that and it was just one of these moments of just like oh yeah nerdcore i've completely forgot about that and then <laughs> oh, suddenly samus. drifted back into it and then found your music i was like oh it's all nicely coming together yeah it took me a decade <laughs> that's cool i like it um and really cool that it was just from a tweet from from beefy uh yeah samus all those guys that you mentioned are great and for the most part i think i know them all know them all personally um i don't know samus personally uh but i know all the other guys you mentioned personally and they are great people i did glow through kind of your youtube as, uh-huh. you know as you do when you when yeah you're looking at people and it's yeah. funny that you mentioned like doing fan art and and creating things like that and the whole yeah. idea of kind of youtube raps um, uh-huh. and yeah. getting into that i was just like i'm wondering what to what extent are you are you creating fan art uh, via youtube <laughs> <laughs> so there's this whole wave of new nerdcore now okay. i don't belong to that wave uh this whole wave of new nerdcore is occupied by a lot of artists that some of who are younger than i am mm. uh, a lot of who are younger than i am i think um and their thing is to take their favorite anime and write a song about it from the perspective of one of the characters and then okay. make like a put a like a thumbnail on it and then have it in big letters say rap like they just like <laughs> grab a screenshot of like their favorite show and then they put like a huge bold letters like rap on there and then this apparently works like they get a lot of people who are looking for uh a rap about their favorite anime characters like oh do do what do i want to do today uh youtube suggests a uh naruto uh rap about my favorite character sasuke and it has huge letters rap on it so i'm gonna click into it it, it this apparently works for and it's managed to like game the the youtube algorithm very well um the quality of the raps is kind of um, it's variable. So there's some people who do really interesting things with it, where you know they kind of combine it with their own life experiences, or they you know uh, they they don't necessarily talk about the the story or yeah. um, the perspective of 
the the character but they kind of take the theme of it and then make something derivative out of it but then there are also some youtube rappers who are just like i'm going to tell the entire story of the show uh in song and like that's literally all it is so you know quality is variable and i appreciate that everyone is you know excited about doing their thing and uh you know writing songs about things that they like but personally like i don't really want to write a book report uh and like i like that's the best way to describe that (laughs) (laughs) personally i like making more derivative works and i like to derive more further from the source material Mm -hmm. uh, in kind of the way that uh open mic eagle does i don't know if you're familiar with him Mm-hmm. Um, but Open Mike Eagle has an album called Anime, Trauma, and Divorce. Um, and it started off as a nerdcore album, apparently. It started mm-hmm. off wanting to talk about anime in each song, but his life took a turn and the pandemic happened. So he decided to make it different and talk about his trauma using anime as an inspiration. And okay. if you listen to those songs and watch those videos, they barely have anything to do with the anime. But like fans deep fans of the anime can tell how it's influenced by the anime so like that's something that i'm trying to work towards uh just like take some inspiration from the anime and um you know put it into a work that is like basically completely original Mm -hmm. uh but i also have fan raps like i have an album about uh an anime called mob psycho 100 it's a really Mm -hmm. good show uh and that is more of like a derivative uh, like okay like let's let's take the themes of this album and you know kind of tell a story but also related to my own life sort of thing and I think that I did an innovative job with it but I mean some people might argue the opposite that it's just a derivative book report so <laughs> I mean that's the risk yeah. you take as an artist right yeah that's, that's, yeah. yeah I mean I think that that's, that's essentially what attracted me to your work was that when I obviously went in on <laughs> Lex in the City and then listen to alter ego afterwards yeah. and kind of I, I worked backwards through your catalog yeah. so i end up getting this weird experience of going oh so you've gone you've gone really fun with this album and it's it's personal and it's great yeah. and then alter ego is even more personal and it's mm-hmm. almost like like more exposed and more raw and then going back and then finding youtube stuff and it was just like it's like a it's a real gradation of where you started and being an artist and that conflicting with things and, and going back and forth in it and I loved that so I'm curious like what did you see on my YouTube that um made it feel like you know things became lighter uh because I'm just curious I would love to I don't know I think I think what surprised me was your videos actually oh okay yeah because I because the first time I listened to through to any of it I listened just to the tracks and I, I hadn't seen any videos and then I saw a few of the videos and I was like there's there's a there's a comedy element to this mm-hmm. which i hadn't considered when mm. just listening to it mm-hmm. and again yeah. that that kind of really it just really surprised me and i found it really refreshing because i was just like oh you've got all these really serious topics and i've listened really hard to the, the words and gotten that vibe and everything like that and then how it was presented was much lighter and in a way like you're saying with kind of like anime stuff whenever i've watched animes there's always a lot of serious stuff going on Mm-hmm. But the visuals accompanying it often are just massive contrasts to everything yeah. going on. Yeah, 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 totally. And you can um, definitely see that kind of influence into it. Like, all right. Yeah, I, I think I'm. I'm very. I'm very into visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, Alter Ego was kind of a departure from my usual thing. I wanted to make a dark album. You know, every art, every artist has to have a dark album. You've got to go uh, edgy at some point. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, every artist has to have their downward spiral. So like that was my downward spiral. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, there's actually, there is a comedy element in mm-hmm. the stuff that I do. I'm not very funny when I'm doing like in my regular life. Uh, okay. I tried my hand at stand-up comedy and I wasn't very good at it. I think that if I practice, I could be better, but yeah. it seems so difficult. Like the timing, the timing of everything uh, and, you know, talking to people without a backing track, it just feels so difficult. And I don't know if I want to wade back into that area again, yeah. but I did try my hand at, stand- at stand-up comedy and I'm not really that funny. So the only way that I can express my sense of humor, which I think I do have, I do have a sense of humor in that I can find things funny. So I want to express that in the stuff that I create. And one of the best ways to do that is through video. So, you know, videos for like Hotel Bed or Psych Major are like, Mm -hmm. I I think are very funny. Uh, And, you know, Lex in the City was also a departure from the serious stuff. And okay, let's go back into the funny stuff, right? Well, what surprised me was like what seemed like a short time period between the two. (laughs) Like, because like, I, I like looked up, looked at the day of all ego. I was like, "Oh, you came in like 2020." Yeah. And then Lexington and City. I was like, "When did I find that?" I was like, well, was it, that's, "That's also the same." What? <laughs> How? And and it just it really like it, it struck me. I was just like, "Oh no, this this is this is definitely a person who has a very broad range and a lot of things to say." And oh. I kind of appreciated that. Yeah. Uh, like, because the way I create work, I create work constantly. Yeah. Like I'm never not creating things and yeah. because of that it conflicts with itself all the time like one day I'm drawing something fun and then the next time I'm doing weird abstract paintings and I was like no this is this is great it's just it's it's conflicts of your own personality just fighting for fighting for visual spotlight space that's what alter ego is all about yeah right and that's it just brought exactly. it together it just, yeah exactly yeah I um a fun fact Lex in the City was written in a week Oh, really? uh, yeah and it was recorded in a week too <laughs> in the same um, week? nah okay. separate weeks okay. but i did it all in the month of august and right. i got it all i got it all sent out to you know to my engineer in september so that i could get it out in october because i was afraid that when the election hit the atmosphere was going to be too serious for me to drop a comedy album so i had That's to interesting basically kind of rush it yeah um and then make it like kind of a uh experiment for me like how fast can i finish writing a record so um so yeah that might have contributed to this kind of flippant um you know this is just a shit post uh vibe of the album because i didn't necessarily really care if it was perfect i just mm-hmm. wanted to get it out and i wanted something entertaining for people to grab uh during like a difficult time alter ego was in in process for two years so i had been writing that for two years before i released it in in 2020 so actually there there is a big there is a big space between the creation of that content the the creation of the content on alter ego versus the creation of content on lex in the city there's a big separation I'm unlike you in that after I finish writing uh, an album and releasing it, I can't write for like another few months. Really? Like, I, yeah, exactly. I'm just like, I don't have any, I don't have any song ideas. I'm all dried up now. So I have to rest for like a few months and work on something else. 
and so after releasing Alter Ego, I had just this like just this dry spell for all the way up to like the summer. Mm-hmm. And then by the time August hit, I was like, okay, I'm ready to write again. And so yeah, exactly. So that's that's how my working process works. It's a yeah. little different from most people who write all the time. Yeah, it's kind of like a cocoon period. Just like, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit back a little while, absorb some stuff, and then we'll kick out something new every so often. Yeah, yeah and I feel like maybe a another good comparison would be like a bear's hibernation period. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's just like, oh, I'm so exhausted now. I'm gonna go take a nap for like three months. <laughs> I like it. It's kind of like, um, I mean, because that, that, <laughs> I keep going back to the same thing, but it's like the, on the first track where you say that you're back. Yeah. And then you're like, wait, am I saying that every single time? And I'm like, well, actually, no, that makes a lot of sense now. No. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah, no, I, I took some time off and now I'm I'm back. Yeah, yeah I'm going to make it a thing. Next time yeah. I release an album, I'm, I'm also going to say I'm back. And, and that whole thing, you know, like saying I'm back is like, that's, that's, that's a nod a to like, yeah. you know, that's a trope. That's a nod to like Slim Shady, you know, who, who stuff like I grew up with. Right. And uh, like I know is like one of those examples where I take a lot of inspiration from this kind of flippant attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like not everything that I make sounds like that. I have a wide range, as you said. Yeah. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a lot of, a lot of range, too. I mean, like just going back to kind of what you're saying about what you grew up with and the thing you, mm-hmm. me- you mentioned before, um, the holiday of not being really too much in the west in terms of what you grew up with like 90s content and stuff like that i mean for people listening kind of what was your experience growing up like where that's a great question uh i grew up in taipei uh for the first 18 years of my life Mm -hmm. and i wasn't exposed to a lot of the american media that people are exposed to like i know basically nothing about star wars except the mandalorian and the sequel trilogy Okay. I've never watched the original trilogy. I know that this sounds sacrilegious, but I've never. I mean, watched- I'm one of the few people who <laughs> hate Star Wars. So. Okay, <laughs> you're fine. Yeah, Mandalorian's great. I loved it. Finished yeah. Mandalorian, but it's like they had a lot of references to previous ca- uh, canons and characters, mm-hmm. and I didn't pick up on any of those references. I was like, ha ha, like funny, like funny Armor Man and funny Green Baby is like that's how I was watching the show. <laughs> um. <clears throat> But yeah, I, my experience, I, I think that the biggest experience, uh, the, the biggest influence that I had from that part of my life was Chinese music, actually. Like not traditional Chinese music, but Chinese pop, like mm-hmm. C-pop. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of artists in C-pop that uh, influenced the way that uh, my pop song writing uh, has become, because a lot of C-pop is ballads. I don't okay. write that many ballads, but the C-pop that isn't ballads are, are really interesting. Like, I'm going to give an example. One of the most famous Taiwanese artists in the world, his name is Jay Chow, right? And um, during the time that I was growing up, he was starting to release these like fusion rap pop songs. You know where I'm going with this, right? I mean, I can so, yeah. yeah, he started he started his career off by singing ballads because right. you know Chinese people love ballads. Uh, but 
you know, around maybe like the early to mid 2000s, which is really where when my music taste started solidifying in my brain, like that was where I was taking in all the hip hop and stuff like, you know, Nelly Furtado featuring Timbaland, Promiscuous Girl released in 2006, like shit like that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> that was also the time where Jay Chow started releasing these like fusion rap pop songs and the production was really interesting it was like it was pop but it it also started to take on like kind of a hip-hop element to it and I really liked the sound of that so I was Mm -hmm. really a big fan of him during that time and then I think um he got rich enough where he didn't care if his music sounded good anymore and like he just kind of fell off uh <laughs> but um jay chow's so definitely shade thrown <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely one of like the taiwanese legends you know mm-hmm. of, of the time that i was growing up um and there are a lot of artists like that who influenced me during that time i don't really listen to c-pop anymore mm-hmm. but i think it's only because they started to tr- um, they started trying to imitate K-pop too much and doing a bad job um, where, right. you know, Taiwan was seeing the success that Korea was having with their music. And they were like, we want to do that. But they didn't have either. They didn't have the proper industry, like infrastructure in place, or uh, I, I'm not going to say the talent wasn't there, but mm. a lot of the Taiwanese production that I, I hear that like music production that I hear that is trying to imitate the Korean production, it just doesn't sound as polished, I think. And I think the Korean music industry is like a well-oiled machine, right? Like they've been doing this for years and years. Like they know how to craft this like perfect um, product for consumers. This glitzy, glamorous, like polished product of like beautiful idols. You know, it's, it's, it's like a... It's yeah, how it's it, like it genuinely scares me, K-pop. Like, yeah, yeah, it's genuinely scary. genuinely scares me what they can do with just manufacturing songs yeah <laughs> yeah just manufactured like um assembly line um i mean it sounds great doesn't it it just sounds like candy it's just it's, it's I mean, just sounds so good and the lowest common denominator I'm not saying that k-pop is the lowest common denominator but, no. uh, <laughs> but it's like um like that's actually a bad characterization lowest common denominator would be like you know sh- pop music that's actually bad but a large demographic of normal people are able to consume k-pop and like enjoy it without Mm. really thinking about like i think the processes that created that that content uh and i mean k-pop just sounds so good and it looks so good right but like what's really going on behind the scenes i think we all know that it's like it can be an abusive industry it's strange though when I look at that though, because it reminds me like were you not saying like your lack of experience with like nineties and western things of it it just reminds me of boy bands and girl bands from the nineties mm-hmm. and and all that and kind of we watched all that and we were into take that and Spice Girls in the UK and everything was huge like that and then you did find out oh yeah actually no these people are like they aren't living happy lives yeah we yeah. are consuming it so to watch it happen again but even on such a larger scale. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You want someone to step in. (laughs) I know. It's just capitalism turned up to to 11, right? It's just capitalism married with music. It's like, okay, we figured out the formula 
of like how to create these like perfect pop stars yep. uh, and get these stands to like post fan cams of them on, on Twitter every day. It's like devoted stands. Like, okay, we know how to get their devoted attention. Like, let's just turn it up to 11. Just make this like, a, like this whole industry. It, it's scary. Like I, I know I, I'm just repeating the same thing over and over again, but it works because it sounds so good. <laughs> like they have real musical pros behind the scenes crafting those beats and like writing good songs for these people um and also you know fashion designers these uh fashion advisors makeup artists like they know every piece of the puzzle comes together like looks voice coaching production like it's it's kind of like a like a singularity in a way yeah a music version it's like all this technology and all the skills of human society come together to make this perfect pop idol and like sometimes that isn't even enough people don't want to see 3d people anymore. people don't want to see like like human pop idols anymore they just want to see hatsune miku I'm just, I'm just, just like yeah. the way you're describing it is like so we we did so well as 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 a, as a culture as a, it's like a species we had all yeah. these innovations we did all of yeah. this yeah. and what we do we do in the end we didn't cure anything guys but we figured out how to make perfect music <laughs> <laughs> we figured out how to make perfect music and we figured out how to people get people to buy it yeah that it's- was the peak. <laughs> And that was the peak, and it might not even be the peak. We might just keep going along and along. What can you do above that, though? Yeah, you can't. You can't do anything about it. Um, And I think that, you know, that's the magic of technology. Is like we've invented so many things, and um, but but the the incentives of what we invent, right? Because we're working into capitalism, because capitalism is the way the world works. We evolve and we invent things to benefit capitalism and like mm-hmm. our goals kind of model the things that we end up creating right and so like we figured out how to make people buy things that's like a natural consequence of capitalism you know <laughs> like same you know i i would argue that um vaccine nationalism is also like a a, a result of capitalism like the reason the vaccine is being delayed for so many countries is because mm-hmm. Uh, Pfizer and Moderna don't want to share their uh, their formula, right? They want to profit off of it, yep. and that's because of capitalism. They want to earn money off of it. They they want it to be exclusive to them, and so we can't solve this huge world problem that is eating away at the world because people want to make money off of it. <laughs> I think this is this is one of those things. It is is it is such a it's such a monster of a thing, like mm-hmm. to the point where you, you can't comprehend it. Like your brain mm-hmm. just goes no. Like, yeah. like I know it. I know it's there, and I know it's bad, and I know there's all these things which are happening with it. But I can't do anything with it. Yeah. And if I do something, even like myself and you, just like create art to create art because I want to express myself, I want something cathartic. Capitalism will get hold of that at yeah. some point, and then yeah. suddenly go, oh, well, we can manufacture catharsis now, guys. Oh. <laughs> We figured out how to make emotional songs and we figured out how to make artwork, which makes you feel things and produce that. So you yeah. can just have that whenever you want. So you don't, you don't need to pay attention to anybody else. You that's know. the pop music machine for you. Right. And that's, that's, that's where a lot of people who want to make the big bucks go. It's like, okay, yeah. I want to be in this industry now and like manufacture this feeling. 
and I think that's the same thing for like Hollywood blockbuster films too. Like, yeah, uh, you know, the MCU universe, Marvel movies, like they billion uh, million dollar uh, film budget, multi million dollar film budget uh, to create these experiences, right? Mm-hmm. These emotional experiences. Um, and I'm okay. I don't want to hate on capitalism too much. Like it certainly has plenty of damaging effects, but we all live in the world of capitalism. There's nothing we could do about it. And we play into it and I play into it. So I don't want to be a hypocrite and say like, oh, I'm not a capitalist, right? I am a capitalist. We all are in some ways. Um, But yeah, I I would actually argue that there is a big divide between like art as a product and art as art now. And I think art as art is coming from a lot of the indie, indie artists um and still there's like this separation bit between indie artists who don't have a manager and don't have a team and the indie artists that do like when indie artists get a team and a manager um they are required to make stuff that is like more palatable this isn't this isn't always true but um i think it's true with people for people with a label or for people with um with major label backing i guess yeah. Uh, like at that point you're in the industry I think the most interesting art is coming from people that are you know kind of outside of the industry in a way and it doesn't have to be like it doesn't have to how do I put this okay Parasite was a great film mm-hmm. right Parasite did not come out of Hollywood mm-hmm. right and I think Parasite came out of an indie filmmaker uh, an indie filmmaker at heart like Bong Joon-ho He's famous in Korea, but like when you're famous in Korea, you're not famous in the entire world still. No, yeah. So he was not driven as much by that incentive as much as he wanted to make a good film. Mm -hmm. And he made a great film about capitalism. (laughs) It's a topic on hand. (laughs) It's so funny watching all these like big wig Hollywood people and like Elon Musk being like, oh, I love Parasite. It's like, I wonder what that film is about. (laughs) We get that. that, You see that so often though, like especially with, um, I mean, not even kind of like business owners, but like politicians and things where they'll tell you like their favorite songs and uh, and their favorite eyes. You're sat there going, how? How are these your favorite artists when yeah. the music they make is against everything you stand for? Like, exactly. How is like that? Like when a thing? Trump rallies are playing a fortunate son, unfortunate yeah. son, a fortunate son, uh, it's like that song doesn't mean what you think it means. And also when they play YMCA, it's like this is a song about gay people. <laughs> Maybe they do know. <laughs> just some real subtle yeah. <laughs> messaging going on. <laughs> I think that's important. Though. I think, like as 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 artists and as creators, I mean, I always say when I when I create things, that my main goal when I do anything is just is essentially just to interrupt someone. That's all I'm actually trying to do with anything I create. Is just yeah. I want it to be impactful enough that you just kind of look at it and go, "Oh, you may not like it, you may like it, but yeah. it stops you just for that second. And I think the value in that as artists gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's interesting we touched on kind of metal music stuff like that. And, and anime and kind of slipping into that but because metal music got such a push that it did in the 2000s with at least within the western world because it was an interruption post boy band times mm. and post post girl band times it was that thing of you know being into new metal and goth and grebo and that took a huge resurgence and pop punk and everyone kind of came along we're like no 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 we need to stand against 
that and we need to just do something to interrupt everything of course eventually it got capitalized as it would oh that makes sense i didn't know that it was a uh, a backlash to the the boy band era that's really interesting yeah it kind of essentially the the at least in the uk i I can't speak from kind of u.s counterpoints because obviously i didn't grow up in the u.s um but in the uk it was very much kind of it came out of an initial need of metal music had been stuck in a bit of a a bit of a standard for a while it was it was classic classic bands like iron maiden and zeppelin they were still kind of dominating everything and then the whole punk era came in and it shook things up in such a way that it infected everything else and all of the music genres and they realized that every so often you have to just push that boundary to make something slightly heavier or to make something which interrupts everything else so then new metal kind of came in with rap and metal mixed together oh, i love that stuff so much <laughs> and it's everything i grew up on and it was one of those things of just like yeah oh 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 it's rap but rap yeah. is the rap's like yeah rap rap's silly guys like nobody listens to rap why, why would you listen to that and they're like oh no 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 no, we can put metal music over the top of it like, yeah. oh well that's interesting we like the sound of that yeah and it just kind of it escalates again and again. So now, um, now all I can think is that maybe like career and everyone just needs metal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and I think that they do have it. They do have there's there is like J metal and K metal and so that sort of thing. Um, and See, I only know, you know one J metal band. And I, <gasps> I only know again like linking back. I only know of that because of anime. Which which one is it? So it's Maximum the Hormone. Oh yeah, because and of I, death. Right? Yeah, yeah, because of the end of Death Note, and I, but yeah. I've never watched Death Note. Okay, I like I so I got I got introduced to anime um, through a friend whilst I was in college, and they showed me Trigun, and I was like, I've never watched anime, and I'm like, you'll enjoy Trigun, just yeah. watch Trigun, and I really loved it, and they like, like and then because we had similar music tastes, they threw me Maximum Harmony, and was like, you'll like this, but also it's related to this anime, and then uh, that kind okay. of mothballed yeah. for me to listen to like all the stuff but yeah that's the only shape <laughs> yeah they're great um i like death note that's a good show i need yeah. to rewatch it one of my favorite like uh anime analysis people on youtube is watching death note right now so i've been reconsidering like kind of watching it along with him mm-hmm. this man is amazing like his name is called his name is im and he goes by film buff okay. uh, on youtube but he is absolutely brilliant at picking up the smallest details in shows and predicting things like far in advance like i've learned so much from analyzing films uh from him uh, about analyzing films and things that i'm watching like and watching it with a more critical eye but Mm -hmm. i still can't get on his level like i'm still not noticing some of the small details that he's noticing but anyway i'm getting off topic death note is um Death Note I, is from 2007, and I think it's stood the test of time. Yeah, uh, it, it's still a classic. It's still a gateway anime for a lot of people. Like that's what they start with. It's short, which is a benefit of it. Really? Uh, yeah, it's 27 episodes, with each episode being about 20, 25 minutes, um, just a standard length mm-hmm. for most anime. So it's a short, fast breeze through, and. Um, People, there are a lot of people who agree that the ending is not as good as it could have been, but I think the ending is fine. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a fun and interesting show. Uh, yeah, and I, I like it a lot. I think um, it's it's kind of I always I always think there's like a risk for people who've never seen anime 
of what mm-hmm. the first one they will be introduced to is. Yeah. So yeah. me and my friends recently, we started a side podcast where we're deconstructing films and stories and everything like that. And we, we recently did Spirit Away. Okay. Our, our friend Jen's never seen Spirit Away. Oh, God. And never watched an anime. Okay. <laughs> what happens? Um, so we said it to her. It was like we're not going to explain what it is. Uh, we suggest watching it dubbed because we oh. were like the voice acting is good, so you'll uh-huh. you'll be fine. It's your first introduction to this. Watch it dubbed. She didn't. She watched it in the original language, um, and we just got this series of texts whilst watching it of just like, what is this? What the fuck is this? I don't understand. Oh my god, this guy's got way too many arms. What now? This guy's a fucking dragon. <laughs> it just like escalated so badly, and I felt quite lucky that my introduction to anime had been, oh, his Trigon, his Cowboy Bebop, his you uh-huh. know, like little things like that, which were fairly accessible at the time. Yeah. yeah. And then like scaled into it. And obviously, I mean, I I had Pokemon back in the day because Pokemon yeah. was the sensation that it was. Um, Love Pokemon. <laughs> and then even in Ghibli, like Howl's Moving Castle was probably the first Ghibli film I saw. Uh huh. First Ghibli yeah. film I saw was Spirited Away. Okay. I was eight years old. I was terrified. That's really interesting. It, it was so scary for me as a young child, especially when the parents got turned into pigs. I was like, "Holy shit!" Like I can't handle this. And then like uh, Yubaba, like yeah. she was so scary. I was freaked out by that shit. And like No Face was so scary. Okay, I rewatched it. Um. A couple years ago when I was 21 uh, and I had a totally different outlook on it. Uh, I was like, okay, I can understand how this is scary for a child. But now that I'm an adult, like I see that this is like, it's very psychedelic inspired, you know? And I feel like there are a lot of Japanese anime that are psychedelically inspired. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Miyazaki has had that sort of experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it, uh, I thought it was beautiful the second time I watched it, but I thought it was so scary the first time because, as you said, I had had very limited experience with anime. Like, holy yeah. shit, I broke down the first time. <laughs> That's, that was uh, something we discussed because we we were saying that obviously it was it was made for tweens essentially as a as an audience, and I was we we had this discussion at the end, which was along the lines of, would you show this to a child? You know, oh. was, I was very I was very much in the mindset of yeah, I'd show this to a kid. Like, uh, I see kids would love this. Like I watched as a kid, I watched like Labyrinth and like Muppet ah, films and all these kinds of crazy things. And yeah. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah. I'm not good with horror. I'm not good. It's weird because when I was young, I could even handle the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> you know that scene where they're throwing tomatoes at Quasimodo. And I was just so upset by that. I was like, why are they throwing tomatoes at this guy? I was just so, so I know this is so mean. And like I, I watched Hunchback again when mm-hmm. I was fourteen years old. I was like, "This is amazing." <laughs> or fourteen? No, it was a little after. I think it was fourteen. Um, but, but yeah, I, I couldn't handle dark stuff as a kid. That's mm. all I watch now. It's all I watch now. <laughs> I watch the darkest, most upsetting stuff, and it like just invigorates me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't watch horror. I can't you handle. Don't. I can't you watch dark horror. stuff, but you don't watch horror. I watch psychological thrillers. Okay. Yeah, there's a difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I can, I can agree. I mean, there's a difference between horror and gore, and yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't mind gore. I don't mind violence, but jump scares, hmm. like horrifying faces, 
Like that's going to be stuck in my mind for like weeks. Like I don't mind violence. I don't mind, you know, stylized Tarantino style violence. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I, I, I have a hard time handling like actually scary stuff. <laughs> I find it quite strange because I like with horror, I'm I find it very hard to get into horror. Ah. Like I'm watching it and like my suspension of disbelief just isn't just isn't there. I'm, ah. I'm just constantly just like, yeah, right. yeah. I feel that way with like high fantasy. Like I have a hard time getting into like Lord of the Rings. Okay. (laughs) Just like 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 full full Yeah, just like full immersion in that like Middle Earth world and just kinda like, eh, like I don't really care about orcs. (laughs) I'm kinda curious though, what do you what do you watch with like anime stuff? Um, so I'm about to at at three PM today, at three forty five PM, I'm gonna watch the newest episode of Attack on Titan. Uh love that show. It's it is fantasy, but it's kinda like a historical revisionist fantasy in some ways it's inspired yeah. by history inspired inspired by fantasy and I thought you were about to say it was inspired by true events then and i was just about to just walk away it's somehow, like... <laughs> somewhat inspired by true events and i'm not going to tell you how but um it's it's kind of modeled after the real world just with giants that eat people yeah. and it's so good it is absolutely the best anime i've ever seen in my life and it's one of the best shows that I've ever seen in my life, too. Probably the best. Um, and I'm not going to tell you how it's good, but I'm just saying, I'm just going to say that the writing is yeah. absolutely impeccable. Like the way that the yeah. story is laid out, like this man has thought about the story like decades in advance. And this is his first manga, too. Like Isayama. Really? Yeah. Like oh, Isayama submitted this manga to jump com uh, jump uh jump magazine yeah jump magazine uh which is one of the daily shonen uh, weekly shonen manga that is like serialized in japan and they rejected him so he submitted to kodansha instead which is a monthly series uh and kodansha has made a killing from attack on titan manga sales and i bet jump is like kicking themselves in the shins right now uh because it is like this this man is like the the anime Trent Reznor, okay? Yeah. Like he, there are things that are referenced in season one that like play so heavily into season four that you would never expect. And like we're in season four right now, and a new episode is dropping every Sunday, and it is like the one thing that's keeping me alive during this pandemic. It's like every Sunday, Attack on Titan, let's go! <laughs> it's like it makes me so excited. And today is Sunday, so I'm so psyched. But anyway. I love that show a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really well written. It's really well animated. It's got amazing characters. Uh, yeah. It's got really strong women. Uh, and not in like the Marvel kind of like, oh yeah, Wonder Woman. Oh, sorry, that's DC. Uh, like, Captain Marvel, like, oh yeah, I'm yeah, strong yeah. and independent kind of way. But it's got really interesting female characters that are fleshed out, that have cool motivations mm-hmm. uh like very deep rich backstories they just treat their female characters with such respect yeah. um which is not something that's very common in anime unfortunately and this is another thing like going back to what you said earlier you really have to be careful about the first anime you show someone because if you choose the wrong one yeah. you could find something that's really misogynist and yeah. like very like uncomfortably sexual uh which is a large proportion of the anime out there like attack on titan is actually one of um one of the shows that is really popular that does not have fan service and by fan service i mean like you know like titty flashing you know that sort of thing um 
and they just treat their female characters with so much um, weight, so mm. much respect, so much gravity. And it's like all these characters could be male characters and all the male characters could be female characters. Gender mm. doesn't really matter in this show. And like, that's one of the things that I like a lot about it. And it's only one of the things. And the other thing that I love about this, this show is the soundtrack. Uh, it's the, the composer of the show is again, uh, probably like the Hans Zimmer of anime because he's just, he just has such a good grasp of um, the emotions in the show and mm-hmm. um, how to bring out some of the most emotional moments. And that's one of the things that I, you know, I, I still listen to a lot on Spotify is like the soundtrack of the show. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's something that, that is definitely my favorite show. It is my first, it was my first anime um after spirited away i think and pokemon whatever but it was my first real anime and i think like it's a great um it's a great how do i say it's a great gateway anime for people because it doesn't have fan service it's really well written it's really well animated um it's got great characters and it still has like this kind of um in some ways it still has this like cheesy shonen vibe where it's like uh, this you know humans rising up against all odds you know and like that's a theme like oh i have to be stronger to defeat these enemies like that's a theme that's very common in anime Mm -hmm. and like it has that and it, it it's like very uh it can be very inspiring and it it primes you for some of the other anime uh that's to come uh in your viewing experience basically in your your learning experiences of finding out where anime can go and exactly what it does i i agree like attack on titan was i watched it a few years back i'm not fully caught up with it but it was one of those ones which it surprised me of how good it was Mm -hmm. because i mean like like you say there is a there is a lot of anime out there which is very very questionable yeah. And so I'm, whenever anyone recommends anything to me, I'm like, hmm, I, I yeah. don't know if I'm going to watch yeah. this. Yeah. Um, and I, like someone messaged, was it, is it Kill the Kill? Like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Someone sent me that once and I watched like an episode. And I was like, what, what are you even showing me? And mm-hmm. I, I don't want this. I um, tried watching Kill the Kill. I got like eight episodes in. I was like, I don't. I couldn't get past episode one. <laughs> <laughs> but then someone recommended one piece to me and that like that turned out to be quite good yeah. and attack on titan i stumbled across like mm-hmm. you know, again in like a, the most random like i was like oh just in like a random forum and someone sent me a picture of one of the the titans like running through a field I, was like, <laughs> I, was like, I need to know more about this again um they went into a little deep dive of it to find out yeah. what was going on and yeah, yeah, like you say, it's just it's extremely well written, and it, it yeah. kind of sh- to me it kind of shook up what anime should be. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with that, and I think that it takes some of the best things that anime can do, mm-hmm. like the three D maneuver gear, like that would be really hard to recreate in a mo- in a live action setting, yeah. and like the Titans. Can you make that? Can you even make that in CGI and make it look convincing? Like, yeah. I highly doubt it, right? So it takes the best things that anime can do in that medium. And it marries it with the best things that, like, top class, like, world class writing can do. Yeah. You know, like, it, the, the writing's like TV, but the animation is like anime. So that's how I, I tend to look at it. It's yeah. a good blending of, of so many different things, which yeah. I, I think to kind of, if we, if we want to bring this to a kind of like a topic of all the things we discussed because we we've we've stretched the bar on kind of what we were discussing <laughs> yeah, 
um, I'm very excited about talking about all this stuff. Um, it's it's, like, it's 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 what we've been saying throughout this entire thing of it's very much that if you're going to make something, yeah. it should at least challenge whatever came before you. Exactly. It should be at least a push away from whatever is there, and it yeah. should be personal at the same time. Exactly. I yeah. think that's very valuable in terms of yeah. artists. Yeah, and I think that any anime that does that and pushes the boundaries of mm-hmm. like what people expect anime to be is uh, like world class in my book. And like it should make you feel things. So, yeah. yeah, I have a friend whose name is Daniel. He's been my friend since first grade. He's my best friend. Uh, we talk about anime a lot, and he is the one who like recommends things to me. And like he knows my taste, and he knows um, how. Uh, how I will find something and like he's made some dud and uh, recommendations before where he's like oh you should watch this and I'm like this is gross this is too much fan service um but he has generally recommended some uh great things and another one of the shows that he recommended was Hunter Hunter have you heard of this one I've heard of it I've not seen it um highly recommended I finished it during the quarantine last year May 2020 and uh i think that that is another show that breaks kind of the boundaries of what shonen is supposed to be Mm -hmm. so like you know like the shonen trope of like oh yeah like young protagonist hero like you know i want to prove myself i want to be stronger you know a training arc you know we're going to build up our powers that sort of thing uh so hunter hunter has that and starts off with that but very like very soon it starts to like branch off into kind of its own thing uh and uh, still has like a great story to it and it still embodies kind of like the core of the shonen mm-hmm. uh, but they break a lot of boundaries in terms of um, you know I think how characters are treated like main characters and their uh, their, their backstories their depths and their emotional state and yeah I, and I think that um, it subverts the shonen trope really well. That's another thing that I really like is subversions. Like yeah. anything that subverts a trope is like I love it. Like Undertale subverts the RPG. Yeah. Like Madoka Magica subverts the magical girl genre. Uh, Evangelion subverts the uh, mech genre. I'm not a big fan of Evangelion. No. Uh, but but yeah, I think Hunter Hunter is like one of the best subversions of shonen out there. And I think that it is like Evangelion if it was actually thought out and well done. <laughs> it might be a weird comparison, but yeah. Hunter Hunter is just such a brilliant show yeah. with like like such endearing characters. Like you'll fall in love with the characters, even if you even if you're okay with the story, like the mm-hmm. characters are so interesting. Yeah. No, I think I think again, like I think, yeah, subversion of, of subversion of expectation is something which real really gets you into anything. Yeah. I, th- I think it's the same with kind of music and with the same with the music you create you 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 know the, there is that very visual moment of you if you if you find you through one track the next track you listen to might not be in any way kind of the same as what you were previously experienced and that's yeah. that's a great thing of just yeah it's it's artists going oh you know you, you expected me to produce this well no i wanted to produce this over here exactly <laughs> was this yeah. <laughs> I will do whatever I can to subvert you. And eventually I'll do, uh, I'll just get into K-pop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, there's, there's some K-pop that I really liked. I really respect the, um, you know, the perfection that they bring mm-hmm. to the, uh, 
craft and there's some like really subversive k-pop too i mean like i always bring up Psy, like gangnam style because mm-hmm. like i think that he really subverted a lot of the things that you know uh, uh k-pop is known for uh and ended up succeeding and becoming a world sensation so yeah he's another one of those artists that i really respect because uh, his music sounds amazing and he's subverting expectations yeah Okay. Yeah, um, I think that's a good message for any artist as, as we kind of yeah. bring this to an end. It's just if you, if you again, if you're just going to make something, try your best as you can to subvert. Yeah, subvert expectation. expectations and um, make people feel things. Those are my two goals. If you want to sum this up in just two goals, subvert expectations, make people feel things. I think that's very good points to to, to round this out for. Well, thank I you love- for coming, and talking to me, Lex. Hopefully, yeah, it hasn't been very too welcome. painful. No, not at all. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for engaging me in this conversation. And thanks for inviting me. To be on your and we, we have no idea what's coming next because clearly you're going to just go out and subvert expectations, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to release like a, I don't know, like a 70s Beatles style pop album. I, like I mean, that's subverted my expectation because instantly our brain just went country. country <laughs> We're going to see rhinestones and horses. <laughs> that's going to be the next album. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. I love it. Thank you for coming on. Um, And I think on those notes, we will talk to these guys later. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.